I'm going to hear you on a little bit of a delay, but it is what it is. So I know you can hear me now. Yep. Uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, one of the biggest issues we're having in California right now, and it's homelessness. First of all, I, I'm a little bit different from most platforms. Most platforms will just call homelessness and say it's just a homelessness problem. My take on it, Anthony, is that it's more of a drug problem. Would you agree or disagree with that? I think homelessness is a symptom of a disease. And I think that drug problem, drug abuse is another one of those symptoms. But I think that really you can trace it completely back to broken homes. The broken home, fatherless homes, broken homes result in uh, an increase in our foster care system, our jails, drug abuse, sexual abuse, and ultimately homelessness. So I do believe that there is a drug abuse problem that ultimately contributes to homelessness, but I don't necessarily believe it's entirely a, a drug problem or a mental health problem or anything like that. I think that the disease is really a broken home and, and, and a broken society. But yes, I do believe that the drug addiction does have a place and a role to play in homelessness. I agree and I kind of disagree with you. Um, I come from a neighborhood that um, has a lot of drug problems. And from what I've seen in my history of living in a in, in the hood is that I would say about 80% of the people out there are on drugs. I would say that the mental problem is because of the drug problem. And it seems like no politician wants to address it and say it's a drug problem. And as long as we continue to say it's just a homeless problem, I think we're going to continue to have the same issues we continue to have without any real solutions. I think that once you're homeless, the probability and the likelihood that you'll actually get into drugs increases. But I think the number one driver of homelessness is really the housing crisis, uh, cost of living. You have a lot of people who just can't afford um, to actually find housing that end up on the streets. There is drug, 100%, there's, drug addiction does lead to homelessness. 100% mental health issues lead to homelessness. Broken families, foster care system, and then, you know, our, our jail population. But at the end of the day, I think, the number one driver is cost of living. Now, once you're homeless, does that open up the opportunity and the likelihood that you'll actually start to use? Yeah, probably. And that's probably what you're seeing is, you know, a high density in that population using drugs. But I don't necessarily think that drug addiction was the primary driver for why they ended up homeless. But definitely once they're homeless, the likelihood that they'll start to use increases. Well, and, 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 but that's, well, we're kind of going to beat a dead horse, but yeah, I, I believe that the drug addiction makes the homeless, not, not the homeless makes the drug addiction, but we can agree to disagree on that one. But now let's go into, you went into housing. What is your plan on making affordable housing in California? Because a lot of times what you hear is the same thing. They go back to the homelessness. They say, we need to make more, more property, more affordable housing. But the more I see, especially I live in North Hollywood, the more I see here is they've made building after building after building and the buildings they're making, they're not making it for regular people to be able to rent an apartment. They're making apartments that are about $2,500 a month that no regular person can afford. Part of the issue with affordable housing is the red tape, the regulations that restrict builders from building quickly and efficiently, which would drive down the cost. If you're a builder and you, it takes you years to, um, to develop a property because of red tape regulations, because of fees, 
then it, one, you're not incentivized to actually build. And two, the, the overall cost to build that structure and that housing increases exponentially. And so you have to pass that on to the renters, right? So by eliminating a lot of the red tape, the bureaucracy, some of the regulations, making it easier to build, allowing people to build more efficiently and quickly, that will allow for more reasonable housing. Well, I, again, got to kind of disagree with you here. I work for builders and every builder I know, their bottom line is to make money. And if you just gave them the permits quicker and all that, they're just going to make more profit. Every builder that's out here in L.A. is about their bottom line making money. A builder needs to have incentives to build affordable housing or maybe when they knock over these like low income housing units, they should maybe make, you know, 10 percent, 20 percent of the people live there back in there with the same rent. Because I think giving builders more uh, space to build isn't going to help any. So in incentivizing, incentivizing builders is what I'm talking about, right? So if you have less red tape, less regulations, less cost, less fees, a builder can make the same profit margin building a low income property than they can building something that goes for $2,500 a month, like you said. The reason why they're building these properties and they have to lease or rent to people that can afford $2,500 is because it costs them so much more, substantially more to build. But if you can if you can allow them through tax breaks and through different incentives to actually build affordable housing and it wouldn't have that much of an impact or any impact at all on their profit margins, then then, of course, we, we would be able to combat the problem. Um, so. You don't think maybe making builders or or leaving certain areas and cities uh, have affordable housing would help? Your your plan would be just to pretty much give builders more taxes, um, more uh, more profit margin to make money. Do you really trust builders to help the community? Because like I said, I work for builders, and to me, they're about making money. Well, any free enterprise is about making profits, right? If companies didn't make profits, they would go out of business. So obviously companies have to make money. But if they're incentivized to build low-income properties, if they're incentivized through tax cuts, rebates, if they're incentivized because they could build the same type of property faster, quicker, um, and, if, and if we mandated you know, a, a certain percentage of properties being built had to qualify for low-income, um, we can solve the problem. It's not about just trusting builders. It's not about just trusting free commerce. It's about regulating it too, but not restricting them from the ability they have to actually build quickly uh, affordable housing. And your idea of forcing builders to allot a certain percentage of their units to low income would significantly impact you know, the value of, of that property, the type of renters you have in it. And I, I, I think that we need to be consistent. Low, low housing, you know, units, low, um, low income developments should specifically serve that purpose and that use because then you can tax them specifically, you can credit them specifically, you can monitor and regulate them specifically, not necessarily a mixed use type build like you're recommending. I hear what you're saying, but for since tw since 2012, after the uh, the big recession we had, 
the housing market has doubled in prices, right? You used to have homes that were worth $350,000. Now they're worth $700,000. The the wages haven't gone up much. And all you, and like I said, here in North Hollywood, my city is almost like a whole, how California is growing. They're outgrowing the Latino community, the minority community. They're pushing everybody out of the inner city and pushing them out to like the more high desert area and all that because builders are doing what they do. And it seems like it's both parties. I'm not going to blame one party or another. It seems like both parties just kind of help the builders do the thing because the unions help fund out of politicians. Would you agree on that or not? Um, do unions help fund politicians? Sure. I think that, I think that unions have a lot of politicians in their pocket. That's why we need to send someone to office. That's not a politician and that does not need union money. Sorry for the pause. Um, okay, good. Let's get off. Of, let's get off photo housing for now. Crime. <laughs> what are you going to do about crime? So far, homicides have skyrocketed in California 31%. It's been the highest homicide rate for since 13 years. What are you going to do about crime? We're going to let police be police. So we have weak leadership, right? Weak leadership in Sacramento, weak leadership um, in our cities with our mayors. And so we're going to let police be police. We're going to fund the police. We need more police. We need a program for hiring police that allow police to look more like the communities they serve. Um, we need to equip police and, and allow them to actually do their job. The, you know, the, the crime rate has increased because we have told our police officers to stand down, to not act. I, I know people, I have family and friends that are in LAPD and other police departments um, here in Southern California, and they're being told to stand down from most crimes that ultimately are gateways to more vicious and, and, and harmful crimes. And so we need to let, it's simple. It's not a complex answer. We need to let police That's be great. police. Uh, what what would you say about Prop 47? That's the one that made uh, a lot of felony crimes into misdemeanors. Would you be willing to overturn that or try to push to get that overturned? hundred percent. I mean, there were news stories today of people raiding a TJ Maxx in LA um, be, because of that exact um Bill, the, the, the fact that, that we've pretty much given criminals permission to commit crime. We've said, we've said we're going to change the definition of a crime so that we'll allow you to commit crimes up until a certain threshold. And then only after that threshold will we actually con consider it a crime. Yes. I, if there's, there's nothing more detrimental to the safety of our society than ignorance like that. What's your take on on like the new uh, DA of Los Angeles, where he's pretty much uh, seems like he gave up the rings to the criminals. <laughs> People like that need to be replaced. They're allowed to operate because there's no resistance. They're 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 covered by weak mayors. They're covered by weak leadership in Sacramento, and so. Those people need to be removed. They need to be called out. They need to be exposed. And we need to put pressure on them to resign and or we need to restrict spending um, and funding in those cities until they get their act together. What's your take on trying juveniles as adults? Are you for it or are you against it? I mean, it, it all depends on the crime and the age that we're talking about. A 17-year-old juvenile that commits uh, you know, a felony you know, to say that, you know, 
six months to a year separates their ability to make the decision between right and wrong is kind of silly. But I don't I don't necessarily believe that with certain crimes we should be convicting 11 and 12 year olds um, nonviolent offenses as as adults. So I, I think we need to sit down and there's no broad answer to that. There there are there are layers to that to that question. Prison reform. Are you for allowing, I think they were trying to release about 70,000 um, felonies or misdemeanors. It seems like California, since the 90s, since uh, three strikes and locking everybody up, they wanted to lock everybody up, but they just couldn't house it. So it seems like after the, the judge, I think it was a federal judge, uh, told California they have to decrease their population, that's when they started releasing everybody. Would you be willing to build more prisons, less prison? What would be your take on trying to do some kind of prison reform? Well, I don't think we need less prisons, and I don't think we need to let our criminals out on the streets. If we can't have a safe, a safe society, we don't have a sustainable society. So I'm, I'm very strict on law. I believe that we're a country and a state of law. And if we don't have law and order, then we don't have safe communities. If we don't have safe communities, and we have parents and children that are at risk. And so I'm not for less, less prisons, and I'm not for releasing our criminals out into general population. Are you for private prisons? Potentially, um, if it's a means to an end, if 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 we cannot fix it um, at a government level, then the problem needs to be fixed. And it's something that I would look at as an entrepreneur. For me, it's important that I'm able to actually sit on at the table and kind of look at options and weigh them out and, and do an analysis of whether I think it's in the best interest of the general population. There may be an opportunity to kind of have you know, uh, to introduce that as a solution, as a test. Um, but long-term, not, I'm not sure long-term that's, that's the solution. I think that the state needs to do its part and then we can offset it, uh, through privatization. Great. So let's uh, switch it up a little bit. Do you believe in extending unemployment? Like I said, I'm out here and I'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm a different uh, guy than you would meet. I'm also from the hood, right? I've got guys that will tell me to my face, I haven't worked in two years, and I'm not going to work in, until they stop giving me unemployment. I've got guys that will sit there and say, oh, man, they extended me another six months. Right, do you believe that extending so much unemployment has contributed to people not going back to work? you got a lot of restaurants, construction, retail, that people just seem like they don't want to work because they're getting free money. And at the same time, it'll be a double two-part question. Do you think it also contributes to inflation in California? Yeah, I think that's a huge problem. Um, by the way, just to go back a little bit, you and I are not that different. I mean, my grandfather started a, com a company in South Central LA right off Alameda and 55th. Um, right next to the projects. That company still exists today. My father, my father still runs it. I worked there until my father fired me. Um, but, you know, I, I know what it's like not to have much. My wife and I were eating hamburger helper without the meat because we couldn't afford anything else. I, trust me, I, 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 I come from humble beginnings as well. So we're not that, that far off. But the idea that we would incentivize procrastination is absolutely absurd. We have an entire small business community that cannot even fully reopen right now because it's almost impossible to get people back to work because they're making more money on unemployment than they are if they were to go in. I can't tell you how many restaurant owners I've spoken to that are saying, we, we're still at half capacity. We are still open only half the week because we can't get people to come in because they're making more money on unemployment. And I, I think it's absurd. I think that we need to give 
people that are down and out an opportunity to get back on their feet. But I think that should come with time limitations. And I also believe that they should actually show adequate amount of effort to actually get a job before they're cut off, in which case, uh, you know, they'll they'll be forced to do things that they probably weren't doing on unemployment. What would you do if you're to become governor with all the debt that's owed from people? Are you for debt forgiveness? Are you for people like uh, a lot of people that owe either mortgages or rent or anything? Are you for that kind of forgiveness for debt? No, I'm not. I'm not for complete forgiveness. I think that that we can work with individuals to extend terms. But the idea that debt that you've accumulated just goes away and it puts that unnecessary burden on other taxpayers is a silly premise. Why? Why would I put unnecessary tax burden on you um, when you're trying to keep a, a more of what you earn? Why would I put that unnecessary burden on you as a taxpayer because somebody else didn't pay their debt. I think that we can work with them to create terms, to figure out payment plans, but ultimately, whether it's college or whether it's mortgage, I mean, these are these are decisions that we made as adults to get into these financial obligations, and we are obligated to repay them back. The state shouldn't come in and rescue individuals because it's a false sense of, of, of the problem going away. Ultimately, I'm gonna take your problem and I'm going to give it to your neighbor. How is that fair? Now, you're not a politician, are you? No, not at all. I'm a business owner, um, an entrepreneur, a family man, uh, a man of faith. Uh, I actually was at CPAC a week and a half ago, which is one of the biggest political events of the year. And three hours into it, I told my wife, I said, you know what? We need to get out of here. Let's just spend the rest of the time, call this a vacation. Because politicians by nature just seem so disingenuous. There's, they, they lack authenticity. And in my world, your word means everything. Authenticity is everything. It's all about what you do and less about what you say. And so I'm not a politician. And even when I get elected, I would not consider myself a politician. Now, with all your stance on, on your views, like with homelessness, with uh, with uh, housing, as far as developers, are you the type of person that is just set in your ways or do you have wiggle room to kind of maybe change some of your stance on, on certain things? A hundred percent. So as an entrepreneur, so 99 percent of businesses go out of business their first year and then at the five-year mark, 80% of those businesses that survive the first year go out of business. The only way that you can sustain a 20-year company and build any level of success is by versatility, flexibility, and being nimble. So I've built an entire career in a business and a life off of pivoting, changing direction, hearing ideas, listening, contemplating. Um, I'm not so set in my ways that Ultimately, I, I can't deviate. I, I have a good foundation like an architect does. You have a set of plans. You're, you're in the building business. You have a set of plans, but if you're there on the job site and a change needs to happen, you, you redraft that plan. You, re, you re-architect that area. 
and and you you change. So I'm open to new ideas. I'm I'm open to collaboration, and I'm open to changing my position. Not my core beliefs, not my structural foundational beliefs, but I'm open to seeing different problems in a new light based on the people I have around me. Nice. Now we have a question for uh, one of the guests here, one of the audience. He's uh, Leo Montes. He says. What can he bring? What can you, Anthony, bring to the Latino community? Because it seems, and this, and this is one thing I push. I push Calimac. Calimac is Central American, Latino, Indigenous, Mexican-American, Chicanos. I'm trying to get us under one umbrella. And I've been saying it for years since I started my platform. We do not have any type of real representation in California. And California deserves a Calimac governor. And I'm hoping that you're that guy. So what can you do to help us? Because everybody else always helps other ethnicities, which is okay, but it seems like we're always the marginalized people. Mm -hmm. Well, you said it in your, in your response, representation, right? So I, I, if you look at the, the landscape of the people that are running, I reflect the diversity that exists within California. I'm 50% Mexican, 50% Cuban. I say 100% American because I was born here and I'm proud of that fact. Um, but ultimately it's representation. When we, when we talk about core issues that are affecting the Latino community, That's right. um, how, is, how is somebody that, that, that doesn't know how we grew up, doesn't know the intricacies of, of our culture, doesn't know what we talk about at the dinner table, can never relate to that? How is that person going to implement policy that benefits the Hispanic community? And we make up 40% of the, of the state. So the fact that, that the Latino population hasn't already elected more officials to represent the community is absurd. It's because we don't get up, we don't vote, we don't educate ourselves, and we don't get active. And we need to do that. This is a rare opportunity to send someone to Sacramento that reflects our culture, our heritage, sure. our background, our communities, you know? Yes, sir. Now I'm going to hit on one that's uh, – this is always – seems to be a big divider in in uh especially in California and it kind of makes you breaks through sometimes and I, I I don't know if there's wiggle room for this there, recently you've got a lot of debate for Roe v Wade I'm sure you as a Christian and I may be assuming are uh, pro-life mm -hmm. now if if they were to overturn Roe v Wade and it was up to individual states to you know, to pass the laws, what kind of law would you like to see in California as far as abortion goes? Pro-life. You just asked me a minute ago how what I would do for the Latino community. Well, the Latino community also is represented in Latinos that have yet to be born. And so I, I'm incredibly pro-life because I believe that all life should be protected, even the unborn. So... This is not something that is decided at the state level at this time, but in a hypothetical situation that you're proposing to me, would I be pro-life? Absolutely, because I believe all life should be protected. Perfect. So what makes you different than all you, I think we have like 42 candidates plus or minus what makes you different and should appeal to us, Cali Max, that the other guys don't have? Okay, a couple things. So I'm not a celebrity, so I'm not in this for publicity to make a documentary or reality show. I'm not a politician, so I have no interest in becoming a lifelong politician. I have no special interest ties. 
I'm not interested in any of that. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur who was deeply impacted by the shutdowns last year. And I've seen the, the small business community significantly impacted. I've seen our Latino community significantly impacted. What makes me different is that I represent, again, the diversity that exists within California. I represent the immigrant story of a, a grandfather who fled a communist country to come to America to pursue the American dream. He didn't go to Texas. He didn't go to Arizona. He didn't go to Florida. He came to California, put down roots here. My family was born here. My children were born here. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in Southern California where the majority of, of California's population lives in Southern California. So I can relate to, you know, the area, the community. Um, and, 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 and honestly, it's my approach to ideas. An entrepreneur, to build a company and, and to sustain it for 20 years, you have to think differently. You think outside of rules. You don't look at policy and process and say, oh, these are the things I cannot do. I'm not able to do this. I'm bound to. No. What an entrepreneur does is looks at, looks at it and says, this is broken. This is wrong. How can I fix it? How can I go in there and get the right people to the table to solve these problems. So I, I, I think the diversity that I bring to the table, my background, it's incredibly different. We cannot send another politician to Sacramento to fix problems that were created by other politicians. That's just insanity. Yes, sir. Uh, gun control, Anthony, are you, you think California Gun laws are just where they should be. They should be a little more lax. They should be a little stricter. I think that if you look at what's happening in Cuba, you have an entire population of people that are being beaten, killed, incarcerated, um, and they're unarmed. And you have a government that's heavily armed. And so when you think about that as an example of what a country looks like when people are not armed and where they have no Second Amendment, that is not a place America ever wants to be. That's not even what our founding fathers wanted. They actually wanted us to be able to rise up against the government in the event that the government was overreaching. So I believe that the gun laws should exist, but I believe that we need to loosen them in California. The gun roster continues to grow. We continue to ban and outlaw and, and, and restrict certain guns from being sold, make it very difficult for people to obtain arms. Um, I do believe that that law-abiding citizens should be the only ones with guns, but ultimately I do believe that we need to loosen restrictions. And our second amendment is one of the things that makes us America. Do you, would you, would you be up for making it easier for uh, conceal and carry laws for people yes. who obviously have no background? Crime yes, I, get, I guess I get asked that all the time. Um, do I believe that California should be an open carry state? And I always say, I don't think California is ready for that yet the open carry, but I do believe that um, concealed carry licenses should be a little bit more easy to obtain. Again, there's a process and a protocol. I believe that we should have, you know, this should be regulated, but uh, I do believe it should be easier because if we, if we created a community here in California where criminals understood that law abiding citizens could have guns, our crime rate would drop. And that's a fact you see it across the nation in states where they actually have open carry and or easier uh, concealed carry laws. So how are you as governor of California gonna bring more jobs to California and make sure not so many people are leaving? Cause right now there is an influx of people taking off to Texas. There's a bunch of corporations taking off to Texas because you know, for the obvious reason, I'm sure yeah. you're gonna tell us, how are you gonna make sure they stay here in California and come back to California? 
I was one of the companies leaving California because of that reason. California is not a business friendly state. We pay more taxes than any other state in the nation, twice that of the second, which is New York. We're going to we're going to increase. We're going to make more jobs in California by keeping more businesses in California. There's this great white lie that government likes to tell. And that's that, hey, we're going to punish the rich. We're going to punish the, the high net worth individuals, the big corporations. We're going to punish them. They're going to pay taxes. But you making less than $100,000 a year or $150,000 a year, we're not going to tax you. We're just going to we're going to punish them. And what's going to happen? You're going to have high net worth individuals that are sick and tired of being punished. They're going to leave and they're going to take their companies with them and they take their jobs with them and they take their tax dollars with them. And then who gets who gets left picking up the bill? The middle class. So what we need to do is we you know, my goal is to eliminate our our state income tax. My goal is to make it more business friendly. My goal is to bring some of these businesses back so that we can have manufacturing back in California. So we're not losing our big corporations. So that we have opportunity here. So I'll do that twofold. As a businessman, you look at your balance sheet and you look at the money that's going out and the money that's coming in. So the first thing we'll do is we'll do a forensic audit of all of our spending across the state and we'll start to eliminate projects that are wasteful that don't benefit the majority of Californians. And we're going to save a ton of money through uh, eliminating wasteful spending. And then we're going to figure out ways in which to monetize California, make money. And by doing those two things, saving money, making money, we're going to be able to lower our gas taxes, lower our sales taxes. And my goal is to eliminate our income tax. That will be not only friendly for people with jobs, but it'll also make it a business friendly environment. So the companies come back and create jobs. I, I like where you're going, Anthony, but there is a huge gap between the wealthy and the middle class. In this country, since the 80s, the trajectory of the rich is just getting higher and higher and higher. And the middle class has stayed stagnant and we continue. It's harder. To, it's hard. It, the American dream in California to buy a house working, let's say, as a butcher in Ralph's working as a mechanic, working as a construction guy is disappearing. In, in, in L.A., you're not going to buy anything. In San Francisco, you're not going to buy anything. So how are you going to bridge that gap between the rich and the poor without taxing the rich so much money? Well, what's happening right now is we have job scarcity, right? So if you have big corporations manufacturing a lot of that blue-collar work that's leaving, it leaves less opportunity. So supply and demand, There's there are fewer jobs for more people. So that disparity, that gap increases. But if we can get big corporations back, we can be the, the epicenter of innovation and technology and manufacturing again. And, and you know, as we start to tackle problems like our water problem and our energy problem, there are there's opportunity there for good, high paying, blue collar type work where more people would have access to it. Um, and, and the supply would be there, which would then create an opportunity to decrease our unemployment and give people more opportunity to make more money. If I eliminate sales tax or eliminate income tax and we lower all of our other taxes, that means more money in your pocket. More money in your pocket means that you have more buying power, more spending power, which means we also are able to close in that gap. So it's kind of like they're all related. Well, that's a... That's a that's a great question right here. I, you, I think you just asked the, the other one. Uh, should people on welfare be drug tested? <laughs> ah. That's a that's an interesting question. I haven't been asked that one before. Um, 
Interesting. I actually, I would say I kind of like that idea. I mean, ultimately, taxpayer dollars are <laughs> funding um, the, the welfare of these individuals. Uh, if, if they're using that money uh, frivolously, especially to buy narcotics and drugs, we should know that they should be in programs and they shouldn't, we should not be funding their habits. So I actually like that idea. Uh, are you, are you for mandatory vaccination and what would you have done different if you were governor of California during the COVID or would you, would you have done it the same exact way that Gavin Newsom did it? Sure. So no, I'm not for mandatory vaccinations. Statistically, 50% of the people you know, 50% of the people I know have gotten the vaccine. So I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I know, I know plenty of people that have gotten the vaccine and I know plenty of people that will never get the vaccine. I believe the vaccine should be a choice, not a mandate, that you should decide at your dinner table what's in the best interest for you and your family. It shouldn't be a decision made in Sacramento. As far as what I would have done differently with the pandemic, I think that when the pandemic hit the states, everybody needed that two week, that two week period to hit the pause button, to assess and analyze, look at the data, talk to scientists and doctors. But beyond that initial heartbeat, beyond that initial pause where we, we kind of assess the situation, Every restriction placed on Californians by our governor were overreaching and a restriction of our liberties and freedoms. What I would have done is I would have I would have given our, our citizens more credit for being free thinking, educated people. I would have come out with the science, with physicians, doctors, and I would have reported on the data. And I would have said to you, I would have said, hey, here are the data shows. Here are the risk factors. Here's, you know, by you being out in public, the, these are the risk factors. This is what you would subject yourself to. Here's, here are the benefits from staying home. Here are the benefit. Here are the, 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 you know, uh, potential risk for going out. Now you make the decision. The idea that our government was able to pick and choose what businesses were essential and which businesses were not. The idea that they were closing restaurants down across the state, but they were eating at their own restaurants closing salons across the state, still visiting their own salons is absolutely absurd. So what I would have done is I would have educated our people, would have equipped them with the information they needed to make the best decision for them. I would have explained the risks. And ultimately, if you decided that you and your family wanted to go out to dinner or you owned a restaurant and you wanted to open so that you can continue to provide for your family and you understood the risks, then it wouldn't have been the government's fault. You would have taken accountability for that decision. And I believe as a free people, as a free society, we should be given the right. This is not Cuba. This is America. We have the right to make logical, beneficial decisions for us at our dinner table, not in Sacramento. So I would have handled it entirely different. I know your stance on your pro-police, which... I as well, even as a ex-gang member am. But also, how can you assure that the, I think they call it the, the, the blue badge or the blue wall where the police are always hiding and, and, and uh, kind of back in each other's play when they're doing crime. How can you assure that we're going to weed out most of the dirty cops because you're not going to weed them all out. And most cops are good people, but there is some bad ones. But it always seems like there's a big, wall of people just hiding them from being prosecuted. Yeah. As a business owner for 20 years, there's there's one thing I've I've learned over time and that's that people are the big X factor. You 
people never cease to surprise you in good and bad ways. And so ultimately, we're never going to be able to to weed out bad character, to completely stamp out, you know, people that lack integrity or that are criminals. But what we can do is we can make sure that we prosecute to the fullest extent those that violate our trust and violate our laws, make examples of enough people so that those people in you know, behind a badge or outside of, of our police department, understand that we're going to be a state of laws and that everybody um, is under the law of the state and that nobody is protected from violating those trusts that we put in those people. I'm a complete supporter of, of, of police. and I think we need more of them. But I do believe that in any role, in politics, in healthcare, in policing, bad people need to be weeded out. And we need to deal with them accordingly. What I know we're, we're going through a drought once again in California. Do you believe there's anything we can do to prepare ourselves so we don't go through these droughts every five to 10 years? Yeah, there's a, a lot we can do. Number one, I talked to farmers across the state and they say that we don't we don't have a, a drought problem or a, a water supply problem. We have a water distribution and water management problem. So we're going to resolve that. First and foremost, there was one point I was talking to a farmer. He said that we had we had collected enough water to last us five years. Um, but because of conservationists and because of how our government is handling water management, most of that water was just um, let go into the San Francisco Bay. So we have water management issues that we have to address um, water distribution issues. Then we need to look at how we collect water and we need to implement programs to collect more more water. And the third part is making water. So we have energy programs that we're going to be pushing forth and introducing that will allow us to create energy. As an example, harnessing the power of the sun, turning it into hydrogen. The hydrogen tanks that house the hydrogen energy have a byproduct, which is atomic water. Atomic water is clean drinking water. And so I think with desalination, with innovation, um, like I just explained, better water collection and then water management and distribution, that's a four or five prong approach to the problem. I think that we'll we'll be able to actually avoid droughts in the future. Well, I know you're short for time and you're scaring me, Anthony, because I'm really liking what I'm hearing. I don't <laughs> agree with everything you said. I'm sorry there's a little bit of pause and delay and hopefully you can come back on the show one day and do it in-house so we can get these kinks worked out. But you are scaring me because... You're a guy that I can get behind. You're a guy that I would think that Cali might get behind. So I want to give you the last word. You can talk to the people out there and tell them pretty much why should we vote for you as governor of California? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, Democrat, Republican, independent. It doesn't matter. In 2020, we saw the impact of an overreaching government that went in and stripped us of our liberties and our rights. They told us that we couldn't go to church. When they said we can go back to church, they said that we couldn't sing at church. They told us we couldn't go to our jobs or open up our small businesses to provide for our families. They told us we couldn't go to work. Um, you know, we have a, a government that is indoctrinating our kids through our school systems with things like critical race theory, um, having our children question their sexuality, this isn't Cuba by any means, but this is how a country like Cuba starts. It's 
It's people giving up one freedom at a time, getting complacent, being okay with it, believing that the government has our best interests in mind at all times. And so we willingly give up our rights. We willingly give up our freedoms. And so, you know, we need we need to stand up and we need to fight against it. A politician is not going to do a good enough job. A, a celebrity is not going to do a good enough job. This is not a popularity contest. This is about sending in a conservative candidate that is fighting for our families, for our freedoms and for our faith. And so I would urge the Hispanic community, you know, we one, you need to get active. You need to educate yourself. You need to get registered and you need to vote. Number That's the most important thing. We need to get this, gov this governor out. Secondly, when you look at the candidates that could replace him, you need to look at more than just policy. You need to look at principle. You need to look at integrity and character. That matters. Let's not kid ourselves. Because in office, you're going to be tempted by any number of things. Pressure, power, money, special interests, lobbyists. And that is going to attack a man at his fleshly level. So what is he going to then base his decision making on? It's going to be his character, his integrity, and that thing that exists at the core of who he is. So I would urge you to consider sending somebody that has a true north moral compass that is doing this for no other reason than just to set right what was wrong. I have nothing to gain in this. Nothing absolutely to gain. This is not a promotion for me. I'm not a career politician. In fact, I have more to lose than I have to gain. But I feel like I've been called for this season to come in to do this job, to give us back our liberties and our rights, and then ultimately hand it over to someone else at one point that's more relevant and important for California at that time. So I don't believe I was the right candidate for California 20 years ago, and I don't believe I'll be the right candidate 20 years from now. But I believe that I reflect the diversity that exists within California. I represent new, fresh ideas, and I, I represent the right candidate for California today. So I urge you guys to get out, to vote, um, to research me, find out what I'm about, and, and follow us. Well, Anthony, again, thank you so much for coming on our platform. I hope to have you back here soon. I know you're... You, you got to do another thing in about five, 10 minutes. I appreciate you coming on. All you guys, go check out Anthony. I think this is our guy. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. Yeah, anthonytremino.com is our website, and A Tremino is our handle on social media. Come hear what we're about, and thank you for uh, spending time with me. It was a joy, a pleasure. Take care, man. Thank you, Anthony.